You're listening to For the Lore, the podcast that delves in the craft of our favorite games, whether lore, gameplay, or game design. Each week, Roger is joined by Joe and Vince. say to a futuristic cyberpunk crazy Japanese visual novel that has you serving drinks to a varied clientele. I thought it sounded like a fun concept and so said sure what the hell what's worse that can happen. As it turns out the worst lies somewhere between a sexist bigot with lines like I'm no saint kid but I'm a man and a robot whore who chooses to keep her default quote-unquote child form appearing like a 10 to 13 year old because there isn't as much competition in that age group. The quote-unquote game, and them some mighty big air quotes, relies on you having to click through mountains of largely uninteresting dialogue laced with bigotry, misogyny, and massive amounts of none-too-subtle sexual innuendos, while dealing with a clunky bartending interface that has you mixing the same damn drinks over and over again. Clients try to sound like they're living at large by ordering something different and fun. However, this translates to you clicking one bottle three times versus twice. Oh, Mr. Donovan wants yet another big beer. This is going to be challenging because I now have to multiply everything by two. I sure hope I don't screw this up. Yet eventually you do simply because there is no impact. Anything that gives your character substance or autonomy. I'm five days in and I've yet to make a choice other than to buy the character a new hollow plant or fan, neither of which means a damn thing once you purchase it. The game comes off very sophomoric, often, from the slut t-shirt hanging prominently in the lead character's closet, a shirt that once you play the game, you cannot see your character wearing as she is fairly straight-laced. And then there are the constant sexual suggestions from the robot whore to streaming Chan, who streams her life 24-7, to the juvenile comments about your character's cup size. What could have been an interesting game full of intelligent dialogue and mystery gets bogged down in exceptionally boring gameplay and dialogue. Now, Vince, you watched a lot of gameplay videos for the title. What did you think? And also, what did the streamers think of the game that you watched? Believe it or not, the streamers who uh, I follow, which are typically pretty uh, pretty sensitive to gender and sexual, those sorts of issues, actually enjoyed it quite a bit because of the commentary that it brought about. Like, because I look at this, this is like the setting, like, first of all, this is by far a mature game. Like, when you're working at a bar, this isn't a game that's going to have an all ages range. So I think they took certain liberties with that by going to extremes. But I look at this, it's, you know, it's a dark cyberpunk future game where, the world sucks. Everything sucks. These characters, in a lot of ways, themselves suck with, be it, you know, you said the uh, the newspaper guy who's stuck in a bygone age or the, I forget the guy's name, the one that's just <laughs> that's what we're going incredibly with. crude and whatnot. But like, it's everything sucks. And it's a matter of, you know, how are you just surviving in this world? Sometimes, you know, it's not going to be good things that you're doing. I I can understand why certain people wouldn't like it. But on the other hand, like sometimes you do need to address some of these things. Address what things? What did you see that I didn't? I I haven't gone too much far into the, the game because uh, after I'd watched a few videos, our wonderful friend Sushi actually gifted me a copy. So I'm going to be playing it myself. Right. But I mean, it's because... When we're viewing this, at least, again, this is from the you know few hours of the game that I've seen. Uh, it never seems like the game is what's the word I'm like, like encouraging their behavior. It's because of the way Jill responds to these people. It's never, it's never being held up like like anything that they're doing or saying is okay. It's just a string of bad, damaged people coming through this bar, and you're learning more about them and how they got that way and, you know, what they're doing about it. I see that as a cheat in the same way that when a dev says maybe the character wants to dress like a slut because she's empowered by her sexuality. No, you're the dev. You put her in that outfit. You're the one that decided. And it's the same thing here, too. Whether your character, you, Jill, 
say, no, that's just stupid. Don't say that. Or encourages it doesn't change the fact that the devs decided to put a you know what? 10 to 13 year old fuck robot in the game with but lines I mean, t- like. Tell me, tell me you can't see a shitty version of our future where that would be a thing. There's a difference between that and and putting it in a game as a means to titillate a young male audience. There's I, a big, I, big, big difference. It didn't come off as titillating to me at all. Oh, some of the stuff that's in there, yeah. Like I said, I'm five days into the, the game. I don't know how many hours it is, but it's it's actually a number of hours that I put in to try to get far enough in to see, does it get any better? Are there any actual likable characters? <laughs> Except for her boss, who's getting her head stuck in a helmet and has these crazy wrestling stories. Her boss I like her. I do like her. There, the only moments where I kind of chuckled and went, "That was funny," is when they're arguing about if the if it's if it's a, a the sound is a gunshot that they're hearing or a car backfiring, and the boss thinks it's firecrackers. And every time they start talking about it from off in the distance, <laughs> you can see she's saying firecrackers, <laughs> and and it's like every little time it's like, okay, that was cute, but that is far from what the game actually is, which again is all of these these characters that are stereotypes and not any kind of characters with depth or anything worth listening to even like and most of the dialogue you know is what? boring as shit i have a kind of a question here as an outsider like i've just mm-hmm. kind of like my introduction to this game was today when i saw it on the dock and i'm just like the hell is this and then i saw some tweets back and forth between uh sushi and you guys and i'm just like all right i might as well just like poke at it and i'm like Okay, what the hell? But I'm sitting there. When's the last time you, you've been to a bar, Roger? Um, honest question. Not that long. Honest question. Like a couple years, few years? No, not, not that long. I've been to bars. I, I don't hang out at them, but yes, okay. I have. I'm not- so, but here's the thing. So every Sunday, in, I go to a local bar in the area and hang out with one of my friends because it's just kind of a thing we do. It's become a tradition since we stopped working together. The stereotypes that you're talking about, minus the sex robot, exist at this bar. Like, these are the sad, trodden down people that, like, walk into this joint and are trying to, like, impress the the hot, you know, bartender. While the bartender is like, okay, well, you're scum of the earth, but I need tips, so I'm going to listen to whatever you're going to put up. So it seems like an interesting concept now that, I, like, I'm hearing you guys talk about it in that context, where it might actually be, even though it's like a cyberpunk reality and minus sort of the um, affectations of that genre, like the the sex robot or whatever the case is, it almost seems like it's a parody of reality. And it's like a commentary on it in that regard, mm-hmm. because these are all people that I've seen, like the, the guy that like is trying to talk about his, you know, I'm a man and, you know, be all like conquesty and crap. That's like that dude's at the bar every freaking night. Okay. He's got no life. He's got he's everything's shit. You're assuming I'm some idiot that just crawled out from under a rock. I've been no, to goddamn I'm, bars. I understand the principle and I know no, the people no, 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 that go in. <laughs> the what fact I'm is, is I, th- I think you might be swinging too hard one way on it. That's no, I'm not. Saying. I'm basing this off of yes knowledge that I have with my years in bars as well, as well as just crap ass writing. So, I mean, it's the same as if there was a game where it was it focused on some other boring aspect. Perfect example, Papers, Please. So you can appreciate what went into that and the writing and how good it is. Compare that to this, which some people have done, saying it's just instead of customs, you're working at a bar. And it's like, not even close, people. Not even remotely close. Because, I disagree. Yeah. It is subjective because, because, because case more, that's why I asked Sushi, too. I, I knew she loved it just from the mm-hmm. sound of it, but just to see. And, yeah, of course, she absolutely adores it. But I'm just saying. Well, as, you, as, you also have to admit the game does trend towards a certain audience. And that we've proven time and time again that audience is not Roger. And that's what I'm saying. But I think <laughs> that it's it's equally important not just to praise something because, oh, my mm-hmm. God, this is amazing. But, no, they're. We're not always going to agree. And yet this is the kind of thing that to me is sophomoric and idiotic because of, again, the ridiculous of different things in it and and the stereotypes and the racism and the misogyny. And it was, again, it just for me came off as unbelievably stupid when you've got, again, 
Donovan tossing out lines like, I'm a man that can't contain himself when he sees something he likes, kid, following a slap on the ass of a patron that walked out. Or, um, a man must never cock block another man unless he's trying to fuck your mom. This is seriously the lines this guy's throwing out. And then you have the... I know that guy. 13-year-old sex kitten thing robot talking about clients violating every hole in your body regardless of its original purpose like it just comes off as this game that was written for very young boys is how it felt when i'm playing because again i don't mind the sexual innuendos i don't mind the sexual jokes or whatever any mature content i don't mind i would just like it presented in such a way that it sounds like it's coming out of an adult's mouth and not a child and that's this is schoolyard stuff like it was just ridiculous see again i'm i'm just going to have to disagree because the way i've seen the game is that it again the game never encourages any of these behaviors from the characters and that makes a difference it, it, it's just a shitty dark future and I mean that's that's a type of storytelling where everything sucks everybody's horrible that's a thing yes and, and that, that's you what can, this game's doing yeah but you can have that and have intelligent dialogue and by intelligent it doesn't mean that everybody has to have a PhD they can talk like whatever they want just again intelligent in terms of the maturity level let me say instead and so it's not that it's all dark and whatnot that's that bothers me i don't care about that it fits with the the dystopian setting of the game but it's when it is childish in its its handling of these different things that's when you're like well this is again this is stupid it 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 doesn't come off as being written for an adult See, I, I, I haven't experienced as much of the game as you have, but I've had no issues with the writing thus far. But I want to get back around to what you were talking about, how you know you felt you had no agency as a player beyond buying things for your apartment. And I actually think that's something that the game does phenomenally well, but very subtly. Because all of your gameplay decisions, it's not dialogue choices and whatnot. It all comes down to the drinks you serve. And yes, I will admit the actual bartending interface is not the most wonderful thing around. It's pretty... Uh, it's horrible. Yeah, I don't want to say horrible, but it's not good. Yeah, I've seen worse interfaces, but I've also seen way, way more better. But I, I in my little bit of research I've done for this game, watching the first couple hours of a couple different people playing the game, and it's been a completely different game, just based solely on the drinks that they're serving their customers. So there's a lot of different dialogue that you get out of these characters, but in a... I don't want to say hidden because, I mean, it's there, but you're making dialogue decisions without actually being given that decision. There actually is an awful lot of different writing for these characters throughout the game. I, okay, I won't argue that because I haven't watched any streams and I tended to, if they ask for something, I just make the damn drink and give it to them. But then when it got to the point where it was so boring, it was like, screw this, I'll just do whatever and see. And yeah, I'm getting a different right, but they, line they're potentially, not like but and asking for a beer or a moon blast. Sometimes they're just like, you know, give me, give me something, and that's when you know you and your ability as a bartender to read your customer can actually definitely affect the way the game plays out. I don't know Maybe how much it affects it. It affects it though, jerks because they don't like the drinks you're serving and want to get the conversation over with quick. No, because then the conversations would be done quick, and they're not. <laughs> Or maybe they just want long. you to suffer. <laughs> That's possible as well. Damn you for I, giving saying, me what I've, I asked I've for. seen a lot of the writing for these characters, and there's a lot of dimension here. Okay. Well, you say a lot. You've only seen a couple of hours. Right, but I'm saying just in that time, seeing how they're being portrayed in different ways across you know different playthroughs, I, it leads me to believe that there's a lot more to come along. And I'll talk about it next week. I'm going to put a lot of hours into this game. Right. Okay. Again, and I fully anticipate, again, it's a subjective thing. Some people, this is going to be right up their alley. But for me, as I'm watching it and playing through it, and again, I put in quite a few hours into this. It just was one caricature of a character after another with with character traits and dialogue chosen almost to the point only to elicit that shock factor or that titillation and it just never comes off as as real which it's hard to achieve that in a game certainly and you're talking about 
real, quote-unquote, as it pertains to a futuristic cyberpunk game. Sure, but it could still be dialogue that when you hear, when you read it, it's like, yeah, that feels natural. It feels real. It's something that I can get behind. Like, I mean, none of these lines would be like in a Blade Runner or shit like that. Like, you can't imagine them sitting at a noodle bar trading lines like, I'm no saint kid, but I'm a man and shit like that. It's just, it just did not feel like it was real and it wasn't for me charming enough in a way or interesting enough in a way that I could put up with again what I believe to be sophomore writing so we'll, we'll come back around to this next week but I think this is just gonna be one of those things we're forever gonna disagree on yeah yeah all right let's move on Joe you actually found a very cool overwatch theory crafting knowing full well that Mercy's my favorite character that I barely yeah. get to play because she's broken for the most part. <laughs> to, to, but this was freaking awesome. I love this. This means you are the Vince now. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, kind of. So Overwatch is one of those games where, I mean, you didn't think we'd have a lot to talk about with it because the story is just kind of in, in drips and drabs. But because of that, it lends itself really, really well to players digging through that information and making their own like wall with the the pieces of string connecting the dots and trying to figure out what's actually going on. And that's really, really cool. And I'm going to give credit to the the, the poster, obviously, of this. Uh, on Reddit, there was a, a theory that revolved around Mercy. And this is by OJ Paper. Uh, that's their Reddit username. And the theory is that we may not be getting exactly what we think out of mercy. She may not be exactly what she says she is on the tin. Uh, there's a couple things that they point out that I'm not going to go into. Cause I, I think they're a little kind of like, I, I don't know, tenuous well, at I mean, best. When you start off with that blatantly uh, mis uh, misinterpreted picture. <laughs> yeah. Like the picture, like pictures- she's on the villain side with Farah <laughs> and all the heroes on the other side when Symmetra really isn't a hero. <laughs> Yeah, p- pictures aside, it's kind of interesting, and mostly because, of, and we talked about this before, character interactions. And this is something that came to my attention because this is something that I said the last time we were talking about it, I was going to pay very close attention to as I was playing Overwatch. And I've put a lot of time into Overwatch, whether it's just sitting in the, the, the lobby waiting for interactions. I can actually validate some of these. So what do we know about Mercy? We know that she is a 37-year-old woman from Switzerland, uh, Angela Zeigler, who is a field medic first responder and was part of Overwatch. Well, that's kind of interesting in and of itself that she has to don a battlesuit shaped like an angel in order to be an emergency worker. We also know that she's responsible for Genji. And apparently, and this is what was really interesting and tipped me off that there might be some legs underneath this, she might be responsible for Reaper. So there's evidence that points to the fact that after that big explosion that supposedly killed Gabriel Reyes, that she might have found him and put him back together. Because there's lines here like where she's asking him, what happened to you? And his response in the game is, you tell me, Doc. And then her reply, this is not what I intended for you. And his reply, you knew exactly what you were doing. Dun, so that, dun, dun. So that, that <laughs> implies a certain amount of, of premeditation there. Like, what, what was she doing? Was she really trying to save his life? Because let's be honest, she turned him into a vampire, a creature that has to kill in order to survive. And it is a constant state of death and rebirth as a result of it. Like, that's what he is. Now, that by itself, okay, sure, whatever. He's he's like that villain and he blames her for, for putting him into this tortured existence. Right, okay, we can we can write that off. But then there's some other curious things that happen. And this revolves mainly around Reaper as well, Reaper and, and Widowmaker. We know them as, quote-unquote, the bad guys. They're talent. They're part of this assassination or organization. But all the cinematics we see from them, they have perfect opportunities to kill Overwatch agents. Look at the Winston recall uh, short, where Reaper barges in and takes all the locations of all of the Overwatch agents that have basically gone dormant. 
in that video alone, he had multiple, multiple chances to kill Winston, right? Especially at the end when Winston's down and out, he could have shot him in the face. And if you've ever gone up against a Winston, you better fucking believe that shit's close to oh, yeah. dead. You're finishing that motherfucker off. Knowing <laughs> 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 friggin' ape. But, but the, the simple fact is, he doesn't. When Tracer is fighting Widowmaker, Widowmaker only has time for her kill, but there are several opportunities where she could have taken out Tracer, like after Tracer ran through her noxious, her noxious gas. She could have turned around and took a shot at her. She didn't. Then the cinematic trailer where it's Tracer and Winston versus Widowmaker and Reaper, there are a ton of sequences where Reaper is just banging his shots off of Winston's armor. These were all Overwatch members. They know everybody's tricks. He knows damn well what Winston's armor can take, and he's aiming for body shots. Why would he be doing that if he really just wanted to kill him? It makes you think that he's actually looking for something. And the theory here is that he's actually looking for mercy, either to seek revenge for what she did or to get her to reverse what she did. I mean, that makes sense to me. And in context of what we've seen so far, it makes perfect sense. Now, why would you want to do that to her? Well, maybe she's not actually a doctor, not in the way that we think. What if she's into biosciences in sort of an experimentation kind of way? I mean, she obviously has very keen knowledge of cybernetics. She basically took Genji, who Hanzo thought was absolutely beyond the shadow of a doubt dead and brought him back to life and shoved him in a robot body, or mostly robot body. So she obviously has some some knowledge beyond just, you know, medicine. What if that's just her thing, is experimenting on people that are desperate, that are at that brink, that can't say no? What if that's been her thing all along? What if she's a first responder? Because when you're on a battlefield and those soldiers are out there dying, they'll say yes to anything at a chance of life. And what's cool about this theory is every single thing in here sort of lines up with that. We don't know what Talon is or why it started. We just know that they kill certain things, right? Well, so kind of did Overwatch in a way. They went into to battle zones and we don't know what their body toll was. We don't know anything about what their entire purpose is. What if... And there's another theory that Sombra is actually Pharaoh's mother who left Overwatch. We have no clue where she is. But what if Sombra I is... I have theories. <laughs> we're we're going to get to me in a bit. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but what if, she, what if Sombra found out what she was doing and everything that happened after she recruited her very good friend, Reyes, to her side and exposed the truth? If everything that happened with Overwatch was they tried to expose that... And that explosion wasn't caused by a fight between Jack and Gabriel. What if that was Mercy saying, oh, shit, they're on to me? It's a cool theory. And just like looking at all this stuff, it's really interesting to see all these blanks fill in, especially just from the shorts, from the comics and from the voice lines that are in game. This is absolutely hysterical and awesome to me because it adds so much more depth to the character and also validates me by screaming, why does the Mexican have to be the villain the entire time that we've been playing Overwatch? But yeah, this this actually is a really cool, solid theory. Now, Vince, what do you have to say? Because you got something in there. Okay, I, I think this is a very fun but inaccurate fan theory. Um I definitely think there's something between Mercy and Reaper, but for me, it comes off as more of like a Reed Richards, Dr. Doom thing where, yeah, Mercy tried to help, but, you know, whether he was too discorporated from the explosion or whatever, she wasn't able to put him back together right. And, you know, it caused him to become a supervillain, if you will. But I'm looking and I'm I'm wondering, you know, we see Overwatch as the G.I. Joe to Talon's Cobra, if you will, but... What you've said with how Reaper isn't as lethal as he should be and same with Widowmaker, I do buy a lot of that because I don't see Talon as a purely evil organization. I think they have the same or at least at some point had the same goal of Overwatch. Remember, Overwatch came together because of the robot uprising and it wasn't until the robot uprising that was dealt with that Talon became a threat because Talon was still fighting the robots. 
So they they seem to me as more of like a misguided group because they think the war isn't over. And now that we're having a second Omnic uprising, maybe they're not wrong. They're just a little more extreme in their efforts that takes them from hero to villain, you know, kind of the, you know, the Charles Xavier to Magneto uh, comparison. You know, they both kind of have the same goal in mind, but the way one of them goes about it is what makes him a villain. What I'm looking at here, I don't think Sombra is Farrah's mom. I think it's a completely different character because, and this is all coming back around to Mercy, and I'm basing this incredibly stupid theory of mine off her most popular line of heroes never die. Morrison didn't die. He became Soldier 76. Genji didn't die. Reyes didn't die. He just became Reaper. That leaves me in Mercy's line of thinking that Reyes was still a hero in his own way. Who did die? Farrah's mom died. She's not a hero. Because, and and I'm going to have to ask you guys to maybe back me up on this. The generally accepted canon is that Reyes is the one that betrayed Overwatch. But from what I've seen in all of the official Blizzard-released stuff, it only says someone from within. It never specifically names Reyes. Am I right on that? Well, he's the one that it, leads the Blackwatch group, and they're the ones that do all of this shady stuff. Right, but, well, it, but it's it never was, specifically stated he's the one that betrayed the team. No, it was it's never assumed, stated. And it was hinted at. The only thing that was stated is that the the destruction of the Overwatch headquarters was the result of a confrontation between mm-hmm. Reyes and Morrison. That's because it. Reyes wanted to take out... Uh, Farrah's mom, uh, Amani, I, I forget the rest of her name, and Morrison wouldn't let him because she's the true villain from within. Because heroes never die. She died. But maybe she didn't. If she's Sombra, then she didn't die. I, I don't think she's Sombra. But I mean, here's the thing. I, I, I find it a little hard to believe that an Egyptian woman would take a uh, Hispanic code name. Why not? It's a it's a it's a that is a totally movie villain thing to do. That is that is totally a thing that we've seen numerous times where the white guy fakes his death and then moves to Mexico and takes a takes a Hispanic name. Uh, Desperado, anybody like that? That's a thing that's happened. That's a movie trope right there. That is absolutely a movie trope. Uh, I'm just going to throw it out there. My theory is just as valid as the Crazy Mercy one. <laughs> that's true. You know, and that, that's absolutely true. That is, it's just as valid because we don't know yet. But this is this is the thing that I love about this is because we don't know. We're filling in the gaps, and you have all these crazy things. Like I didn't even get. I didn't even talk about the Valkyrie suit. Like that the and idea the staff. that. What's that? That and the staff. Well, the staff. I'm I'm going to give a little leeway because. Blizzard likes to throw the word Caduceus staff around a lot. Uh, like I argued and yelled about the Caduceus of Ashzara for oh, how many weeks until it was finally changed. Uh, but Valkyrie is an interesting image because Valkyries aren't healers. They ferry the dead to Valhalla. They're the choosers of the slain. That's what they do. They don't bring things back to life. They bring the dead back to the land of the dead. That's their entire purpose. And they it, allow the dead to fight in a greater battle. That's later. Role. Later. Well, Mercy goes about it they in her own way. They still die. They <laughs> still very defensive die. defense. Well, you know what? <laughs> I get hit by that Hanzo alt. I'm dead too until she brings me back for the better battle. There's also the, there's also the interesting, uh, I like the uh, the no pulse emote. Yes, I uh, yeah. where, where Mercy takes her own pulse. It's like, a, oh, yeah, no, no, no pulse. Like, that's also an interesting item to kind of bring out there. There's a, there's a lot of weird, titty, clever things. She also has a skin where she's a devil. Yep. <laughs> like that, that, that to me was one of the big points that they didn't bring up here. I'm reading all this and I'm going. They did. Did they? Because I didn't see it brought yeah, it was, up. Or unless it was, it was in the comments. They, they, they tried to avoid it, but it was a later comment. That oh, okay. Yeah, about. I didn't see the comment because I'm like, uh, hello, devil and imp freaking costume skins. That's That's kind of. That's a little telling right there. But but, but I I agree with you, Joe. What I really like about this is that there is so much stuff to this game for us to dig through because we know this was based on, you know, a different project. So I would assume a lot of that initial design is still present here and they're just repurposing it. So 
and, and we know Blizzard. We know that there's more behind this that and they're loving it, too. I'm sure they are absolutely like, looking at the forum threads and going, hey, this guy got it right. <laughs> but let's not tell him that. <laughs> so and, and, but it's such an interesting, vibrant world with this colorful cast of characters that depending on who you play, you may want to root for or you may think they're the villain. <laughs> so it, it's it's really fun, though. And I. Whether I think it's right or not, I love. I adore crazy fan theories. Oh, in all their shapes and sizes, and I still I absolutely appreciate them in Overwatch. Which I, I hope we get more of them from other fans that are as dedicated as OJ Paper here, because I need more of these. These are awesome. The fact that they were able to create a world that is this vibrant and alive that you could come up with this ridiculous theory and point to enough things that people are going to go, hmm. <laughs> That that's actually true. What the hell? Remind me to um, send you the video. I think it was like almost twenty minutes long, proving that Deckard Kane lives in the Overwatch universe. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, he's I, secretly secretly Jack Morrison. Well, he, he's buying shit. He left them a check. It's at the bar. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, no, I again, but, but it, it goes even deeper than that. <laughs> I, I, I love that this is, is out there. I, I don't buy a lot of it, but it certainly is cool that someone can dig through and find enough things that you're going, holy crap. I- well, it's also one of those things, and, and this is a very timely parallel with Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones had a lot of very important revelations this season because the show has now exceeded the books in its timeline. And... Basically, it's dredging up these crazy fan theories from like 20 years ago (laughs) that when somebody at like a con years ago, I think it was before the show had premiered, had asked George R.R. Martin about one of their crazy fan theories. And his response was, you're closer than, you know, (laughs) and of course, now now that we've gotten that revelation, she actually was really close with her crazy fan theory. So even if these aren't quite true, there's going to be elements of truth to each of them. Well, the other thing that I like about it is the possibility that there is no black and white because one of the one of the things I really enjoy about storytelling is when characters toe the gray line or when things aren't always what they seem. So I like the idea of maybe this goody two shoes character being the actual villain like Kaiser Soze. I like that idea. I like the idea that anything could happen at this point because it's just ripe with possibilities and that that really keeps me interested in not only this game but anything else that they produce for it the fan theories not so much the fan fiction because whatever uh i mean not that it's not good but it's like i don't want to see what you know they're doing i don't with need Hanzo these days. and on genji action that's just yeah people well, i mean diva is actually a character in the first game like she might she might have been like some valhalla slash overwatch thick or whatever i don't know i got nothing. and just before we uh, shift over, shout out to Amazon and Apple for allowing me to get this game for almost free <laughs> because of that lawsuit. It's the only reason I bought it. What? <laughs> I've I've been watching my money, so they had that uh, ebook settlement from Amazon and Apple that I got a huge credit to my Amazon account is what I used to buy the game. Nice, cool. All right, okay, yes, let's move on. I've still been playing Swotor. I've been back in and doing a whole bunch more stuff again because there's been more chapters added. And we are going to be going through those chapters soon because, again, whether it's a somebody plays a fucking game between the two of you or I'll just do a feature myself. But it's still it's phenomenal. And they are starting a new event actually tomorrow. Tomorrow being Tuesday the 28th. And what they're doing is it's a dark versus light event. It's pissing off a lot of existing players because yeah, it's asking you to do new things. Yeah, but you know what? Those are the loud ones. The negative ones tend to be the loudest, whereas I have a crap load of existing characters, and I looked at this and said, hey, this is good. This is going to encourage more people to come to the game, which it desperately needs. Plus, for people who are returning to the game, it gives them a reason to start from scratch to get their footing again and to get some pretty freaking cool rewards out of it as well. Like, if you're looking at it, like the the, the outfit that you can get, man, that's a big a deal. 
Um, of course, some of the, the boxes can contain some of that really cool. There's two different outfits. Those look awesome. There's a really nice speeder. There's a, a, a mini pet. And then there's the companions. That's a big one. I mean, the tank legendary level, who the fuck is going to do that? You like that's way too much work involved for that. But leveling up a couple of characters quickly to get those companions. I think that's freaking awesome. I don't know how much story those characters will have. I'm hoping enough. But who knows? I don't even know if they're they haven't said whether or not they'll be kind of romanceable characters as well. So there's still a lot that we don't know. But I did read that it appears that once you unlock them, that all your characters should get them as well in the mail kind of thing is a, kind of like the same way that they did with the uh, shooter dude there. Uh, what the hell's his name? Anyways, the, the dude that you got for the um, the current expansion. Yeah, that guy. Fuck. McCree. Yeah, him, essentially, yeah. But uh, so I'm hoping that there's going to be more to these characters. But regardless, I am definitely going to be doing this. I, again, I think it's cool. See, and it's interesting because uh, the main complaint I've seen from a lot of people is that this is just Bioware's way of recycling old content and making it feel new by, and this is not my opinion, let me say, by, quote, forcing them to play through content they've already completed, but... That's such a Bioware thing. No Bioware game is designed to just be played through once. So even if you're going to replay something you've already done before, like let's say you've leveled all the classes or what have you, this gives you that opportunity to do a Bioware playthrough and make different decisions. Go light side instead of dark side. You know, romance this person instead of that person. It it fits perfectly with Bioware's design philosophy. I You see this in other MMOs as well. Them trying to find any reason at all to send people back to old content. Hello, Cataclysm. I mean, this is what they want to make, get as much life as they can out of existing content. And, like and at you least said, when you're playing a Bioware game, it's going to be a different experience. That's right. There are so many different things. Like when I was looking at, okay, well, what two characters am I going to do? What have I experienced so far? Which sexes have I played them those characters through which romanceable characters that I choose. Like there's a lot of different things that I can do. And I'm the type of player that I'm not all about the end game. I'm all about that leveling up in that journey. So I think this is fantastic. I, and again, I, I can appreciate what people are saying. However, they're not forcing you to take part in this. You don't have to do this. There's no reason that that says you have to do this. Don't do it. If you want to, if you don't want to, it is certainly a trying to make some money also by selling more character slots or whatever there's they're they're trying to make money it's a game that's that's their purpose so again it's i'm looking at this in terms of i'm going to play through i'll get the the entirety of that story arc one shot do all of the expansions get that all out as well with the character and and have that bond with the character moving forward so i'm like i said i'm looking forward to it and then sticking with Bioware, we got yet more news about Andromeda. The f- most important of which being, I thought, that contrary to what you were saying, Joe, before, we've got more information showing that you will actually be able to choose between sexes, which one you want. They're featuring the female yeah, character, that's... but you will actually be able to choose between which sex you want. That's different than what they originally said then. Yeah. I um, mean, that's the way I had always heard it. I just assumed you had... Uh... You I had was more going by the uh, than I did. I was going by the interview at E3. Mm. Okay, Vince, go ahead. Anyway. Keep with some more news. Yes. Uh, unfortunately, we have to wait until sometime in 2017. They claim quarter one, but you know, let's not hold our breaths to get our hands on the actual Andromeda. But this being Bioware, they don't contain their storytelling to just the games. I mean, I know Roger, Joe, you guys have read like a lot of the Dragon Age novels, right? And the Mass Effect ones. Yeah. Yep. So, I mean, and they've all been pretty damn good. Yeah. I mean, fantastic. Not all of them have been super fantastic, yep. but well above par overall, let's just say. So we don't have to wait until early 2017 to get back into the Mass Effect universe. As a matter of fact, we only have to wait like a month or two because they uh, have through what's the publisher here? I'm sorry. Titan Books is announcing that. The first Mass Effect Andromeda novel titled Initiation is going to be hitting shelves in August of this year with three more to follow, two in 2017 and one in 2018. So and that what this is doing is, as we know, Andromeda takes place so far after the original Mass Effect trilogy that they're narratively not really connected. But this is going to be telling 
what happens to the Mass Effect universe that we know. And it's going to be basically a sequel to the original trilogy of games, eventually leading into what's going to happen in Andromeda. So I'm I'm chomping at the bit for this stuff. Yeah, no kidding. Now, what's interesting, though, is seriously, 30 minutes ago, Bioware released a statement that it's still too early to go into more detail about the books or when they will be released and who's writing them. So we're getting one set of information from the publisher and one set of information from Bioware now at this point. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Like I said, it, it just came across on Twitter like 30 minutes ago. Hmm. Yeah. Really, again, for, of the books, I don't recall reading any that I didn't enjoy. Mm-hmm. So I'm pretty open to whoever they choose. They have a good handle on it. Yeah, and supposedly um, in the original article, uh, the final book in the series is going to be written by Mac Walters, who's the creative director for Mass Effect. So it leads me to believe that that's the one that's going to most closely tie in with Andromeda if you know they actually have their lead writer of the game working on that novel. Yeah. Whereas you know the other novels, they can just kind of give basic outlines to other writers because it doesn't have to tie in quite as deeply. I thought Mac had left. No. Again, according to this article on IGN. Huh. Yeah, I thought Mac had left. I, so I did I. Was, yeah. I, I don't know. Maybe, come maybe they're bringing him back to write the book. It's possible. It's possible. I knew it's possible. Okay. Anyways, let's move on from there. I actually sent Joe a link because, again, I know his love of board games and my love of VR. And <laughs> we've talked about this before with that blending of board game in VR and as a means of demonstrating that that is not only going to be happening, but also an idea of where it might lead to. I thought that this Tactera looked pretty cool. It is definitely very cool and very interesting. It is a real-time strategy game on a holographic tabletop battlefield inside of a virtual reality command center. That's a whole lot to say in one sentence. Uh, this was actually came out of a, a Oculus Mobile VR jam last year, uh, which I thought was kind of cool. But it's very it's very interesting. So one of the, the things that RTSs have is base management and combat micromanagement. So you have your macro and your micro. Here, this game has stripped down the macro to let you focus more on the micro. But it has some very interesting mechanics in it, uh, such as you use your player view, your gaze, to look down at this virtual battlefield inside of your command center. And what you look at is what you're selecting. So your actual field of view, your directed view, is going to be like you were dragging the mouse cursor over a a group or whatever the case was there. It has a very simple floating UI. Uh, It uses uh, the touchpad. It looks like a Gear VR touchpad right now. And it's, it's a cool concept. It plays very much like Axis and Allies, where you have a simplified means of production and you choose what you attack and where, and you have a certain amount of moves per turn. It's really, really cool. I like the fact that it's wears sort of its VRness on its sleeve where it has the wire mesh, everything. This alone isn't necessarily the important thing. The important thing is that this is a proof of concept beyond any shadow of a doubt that this style of game will work in a VR environment. Now, I personally believe that you can go without having to strip down the functionality of an RTS and you can have that macro and micro environment in there. Oh yeah. And you, and you don't have to simplify it that much in order to have a solid game. But this is something where I could easily see a version of risk as a video game. That's actually playable, which has never been the case. No matter how many times they've produced risk, I could see access and allies being an actual video game now, which again has never been the case or any other number of board games that they've tried to make into video games, Talisman, Warhammer Quest, Mordheim, any of those would fit perfectly in this, and this is the proof right here. You can take that tabletop experience and import it into a virtual reality system, and this is what I was talking about wanting for my VR experience, whether it was augmented VR or true VR, the ability to plug in and have a battlefield unfold in front of me. And if it was an AVR thing where I can actually take, like in my case, my war machine or my Warhammer models and have them on a table and have somebody across the country or across the world plug in and challenge me, 
and have their models show up on the other side of the battlefield, that would be phenomenal. And this is proving that these are concepts that are very real and very possible with the current generation of technology that is starting to emerge for VR. And as time progresses, the possibilities are just going to grow. Now, I'm not quite at Roger level excitement for virtual reality yet, but my initial disdain for VR, this type of game, these type of productions push that away. And I'm leaning more and more towards having to get one ever so slightly. I'm almost past that line in keep, they keep producing games like this. It's, it's going to be the death of me. 100%. See what I liked is again, this idea of again, extrapolating from this and then going off of things that I'd like to see picture a game that has like your, your 40 K guys that you like to do your miniatures or any number of things. I, I picture the kind of, big battle station table kind of thing where they have the miniatures that you push out with the little the little yep. stick thing that you kind of push them into battle <laughs> and then it's VR you can quite literally just push a floating button and a screen pops up and it shows you the conflict so there's your real time as at a zoomed in level of what the conflict is and then you can manage your guys on that other screen that's to the side moving some other guys to go do some farming of materials or whatever have a screen open that shows them just floating in the air minority style kind of thing minority report i should say and you could do that <laughs> that was almost really weird <laughs> yeah um but <laughs> okay anyways uh, but yeah the you can have a whole bunch of different things like that where you're immersed in this virtual world and making the most use of it for the purposes of this war that's going on. Again, I picture it in terms of like, I would like to see an really old style Japanese war where you have the really gorgeous wooden table kind of things and, and literally moving your men along to different posts and different things like that. And then it would be a little bit more cheating because you'd have like, say a, a scroll that you pull down on one side and there'd be a video that you can interact with there for what's going on. But it's a, it'd be a blend of old and new. And you could do that for any type of game. Again, steampunk setting, any kind of thing and have that, overlay of both the micro and the macro gameplay and it can be done and it can be done beautifully i just had the most brilliant idea joe get a war machine style vr game you know it it wouldn't be that difficult to do the actual you know war mechanics and whatnot but using the vr to paint your own minis see i'm on the fence with that because that's a really cool concept and things like the Google Tilt Brush and a lot of the other art style apps that are coming out seem really, really cool. But that's one of those things where I'm going to be the old man on the porch saying, get off my lawn. I don't know if you can replace the tactile feel. The problem oh, is no, you, you won't be able to, but I'm, I'm sure you can agree with me that half it would the be fun cool. of playing those games is showing up with the coolest looking army. Absolutely. So if you can then have that personal touch in the virtual game and, and at least a facsimile of what you can have in the real world, I think All that would be pretty damn good. I mean, I have an easy solution for that. Just give me a goddamn 3D scanner I can plug into the game and scan my own models that I've already painted, and I'll be a happy camper. Well, you could do it with the cameras that are built onto some of these kind of thing. Like, oh, yeah. Theoretically speaking, even the, the, the PlayStation one, it has the camera basically rotate your mini in front of it it captures it and then puts it in the game it can be done it's just nobody oh, yeah. has yet done the coding to to put it out but yeah anyways i just thought this was brilliant it was cool i it was really really cool the it brings us yet closer to the idea of a virtual dnd session and where you can have again show the map of where they're going and then zoom in on it if you want or put it up on a side screen or any number of things like we're headed that way and it's not that that far off and that's the coolest fucking thing ever okay let's move on vince you found the surge what did you think yes of that? this is one of those games from e3 that kind of slipped through the cracks because it wasn't one of the big announcements but when i read about it last week 
I actually became pretty interested. Uh, this is the latest game from Deck 13. Deck 13 is best known uh, as the developer of Lords of the Fallen, which was, I believe, if not the first, at least the first notable and uh, mass-marketed game inspired by the Souls franchise. And we've said that was going to be the big buzzword this year was Souls-like, and they have their next Souls-like game. But Lords of the Fallen, while relatively well-received, it never really got more than you know above average reviews and whatnot because it borrowed a lot of the aesthetics and stuff from Dark Souls without quite replicating what made Dark Souls Dark Souls. Now, what we have here with The Surge, you look at it and you go, well, what the hell does this have to do with Soul, the Souls franchise? But you look at the combat and, more importantly, the map design. Like That's the thing I love most about Souls games is their map design is... Some of, if not the best in the business. I I absolutely love just exploring those worlds and seeing how the various areas connect. And that's at least what they're promising here with The Surge, but completely devoid of the gothic horror and those sorts of elements because this is now a sci-fi game. You play this guy named Warren, a construction worker, sometime in the not-too-distant future where he's using uh, an exoskeleton to help him do his work. Something goes wrong, he wakes up, the machines have run amok, apparently turned the other construction workers into some sort of techno zombies and whatnot. But you look at this game, and when I say, first of all, look at this game, they claim this is pre-alpha. It looks gorgeous, and from what we've seen thus far of the gameplay, it seems pretty tight to me. So we see this is definitely a very different type of world than what we saw in Lords of the Fallen. It's a lot less linear. It definitely has the hallmarks of the Souls map design, which I think is the most important thing to get right. Anybody can make a hard game. It's a lot more difficult to make an interesting game. And this is definitely very unique, especially when it comes to the combat system. Because this isn't what we've seen from the Souls franchise of block at the right time, counter, dodge, what have you. It's a lot more in-depth because... You can choose which body parts of your enemies to target specifically, as well as, you know, vertical attack, horizontal attack, thrusting attack, what have you. And this is so deep in the character advancement, because as I said, you know, one of these enemies, it's coming at you and it very obviously has lack of armor on its legs. So you can walk in there, get a couple slashes to the legs, defeat the enemy and move on. But if you actually want to advance your character, earn better gear and whatnot, well, that same enemy has a really awesome, like, buzzsaw arm. So if you focus your attacks on disabling and removing that weapon, that's then something you can get for your character. Uh, You can't use it immediately because it's damage from battle, but you can research it and build it yourself and be able to upgrade your character like that. That is such a brilliant way of melding combat tactics and character advancement that this now definitely definitely has my interest i want to see the character with like a backpack with like arms and legs sticking out of the back on the sides i'm gonna use them for upgrades you're just you're just turning everything into a spider-man game these days aren't you (laughs) it'd be awesome (laughs) but yeah no it looks cool it did and it does look justifiably gorgeous and I'm yeah, I'm blown away by how good this game looks again, not just graphically, but from a lot of gameplay elements this early into its development cycle. Yeah, I'm really excited to see where they go with this because Lords of the Fallen was a good first step for the company. And most most companies, their their first big game is not going to be a huge hit, but uh, they're they're moving in some very interesting directions here. Yeah, cool. We also got a little bit more news on Gravity Rush too, which again, I'm quite certain you two aren't very interested in, but. It looked freaking gorgeous at E3. Oh, yeah. I Again, I really loved the the first one. I loved it a lot. It was, for me, it was the main game I played for the longest time and the only game on my, my Vita. And I like it enough that I would like to go back and replay it all because it, it was that much fun and to prep for two. And I don't tend to replay games because, again, there's only so much time in a day. I really like this. I like that the character of Kat has matured, so she's not a kid anymore, but she still hangs on to some of the the aspects of her personality that are lighter and fun. So that's going to still be, make her an interesting character to play with. Because that's one of the things about the original is that 
you want to spend time with this character. She's awesome. She's a very, very cool character. I love that this is going to be a massive world. We're talking up to three times the size of the first one. So that's, that's a lot of space. And the setting is so important to the Gravity Rush games. It's, it's a large part of it. Again, it feels like living in a Miyazaki world. So making it larger and they're talking about how they get their, they did some research to get inspiration and whatnot and go into like Mexico and different parts of Asia and how each floating city is essentially again, an Island and they're highly detailed and, and different from each other as well. Like they're doing a lot of really, really cool stuff here that I am looking forward to trying. It definitely looks really impressive. Yeah. That is actually going to wrap it up for the night. I am going to be recording a feature that you can listen to in just a a minute, and that is going to be on The Accidental Night. That's the novel that came with Hex, if you backed it. When they reached a certain stretch goal, it was they were going to get Christy Golden to write a novel for the card game because there is that much lore there. And I read the novel loved the novel and not just because Christy Golden is an amazing writer we know that from her work with Star Wars novels with WoW novels she is a fan favorite for a reason but what I especially loved was the manner in which she used the existing lore for the game and again as a card game you might think how much can there really be oh I found there were more moments where I was nearly tearing up or like justifiably going, oh, that was powerful in this than in the recent other books I've read of hers, which includes Dark Disciple, which was a Star Wars one, which I loved, as well as the Warcraft ones. The work that she did with the characters in this this novel based on the characters in the game was spectacular. So anyways, you're going to hear me gush about it in just a moment and justifiably so. If you haven't read it yet, you can actually pick it up on Amazon for Kindle, I believe. I don't know if it's available in any other format, but it is available to pick up, and it's not a lot. And it's it was awesome. It makes me want to play the game that much more, which is kind of hard to imagine because I'm always playing it anyways. So thank you for joining us live. Of course, you can find us on Mondays at ForTheLore.com slash live for our stream, and that is at 7 p.m. Eastern time. You can find us on Twitter at ForTheLore or individually Joe is Loaders at J, Vince is Simodian, and I am Zen Buddhist. You can also find us on iTunes and Stitcher. And with that, we will see you guys next week. From the moment Hex was announced on Kickstarter 2, my last win this morning, I've been enamored with the card game. I've played a lot of trading card games over the decades, and it is far and away the best that I have ever played. The introduction of the Player vs. Environment campaign has allowed us to appreciate a lot of the game's lore, which is surprisingly deep for a card game. As part of their stretch goals on Kickstarter, Cryptozoic stated that if they reach 1.8 million, they'd get a novel written by a quote-unquote famous fantasy author. They flew past that stretch goal with ease and we later found out that this famous fantasy author was none other than Christy Golden, author extraordinaire of novels set in World of Warcraft, Star Wars, Star Trek, and yet more franchises and original worlds. She is indeed a fan favorite and for good reason. Her characters are alive, driven, and relatable. She understands how to craft a beautiful story and I've yet to read a novel of hers which disappointed me. I just finished reading Dark Disciple, her latest Star Wars novel, and jumped right into the accidental night. I had some understanding and appreciation of the lore, however, was not prepared for the story presented. The novel focuses on William, a young postulate at a cloister that studies the hexing gems that are found in the game. This is the one leap of faith asked of the reader that transcends the normal Tolkien-esque fantasy tropes. Because in the game, these very gems grant you, the player, special abilities. I wondered how Golden would handle this in the novel, as it's a difficult concept to be forced to weave into a story. However, I needn't have been concerned, as she does so with what appears to be ease. You accept that white, diamond-like gems heal, that red gems bring about destruction, and so forth. You also quickly accept that Entrath is a world unlike any we've known where the common tropes of human versus orcs are thrown out, replaced instead with uneasy alliances. 
This is a world full of mystical wonder, yet rooted enough in our own reality that it's relatable. This is a world where coyote exist, a race of anthropomorphic coyote who live as Native Americans have. Their ceremonies are steeped in a culture that we understand, which makes the race that much more profound on the page. The evil bunny empire might be a little bit more difficult to accept, especially if you're a Monty Python fan. However, the manner in which they're presented works very well and is in fact completely believable. It's also a world where special few families have formed bonds with great wolves, incredible beasts who form empathic relationships with wolf knights, protectors of Entrap. Even this aspect of the story is treated differently than traditional fantasy tropes where creatures are tamed and treated as pets and mounts, whereas in The Accidental Knight they're revered and treated as even more than equals. They're not ridden and they don't carry packs, it's a relationship that's brought front and center early in the story when a great wolf's human family is murdered. Throughout the ages, when wolf knights have passed, the empathic bond has shifted to the next family member in line. Typically, a family has planned for this inevitability by training their children well in advance. In this case, however, every member of the Rowan clan appeared to have been killed, leaving the great wolf alone. And given enough time, it would return to its feral ways. Luckily, there is one last Rowan. He just doesn't know it, because as an infant, he was left at a cloister that he may live a peaceful life. Which brings us back to William. When the great wolf races towards him during one of his walks, he fears it's gone feral and is attacking him, so he runs from it, and in so doing, rejects the empathic bond, leaving the great wolf alone and confused. The rest of the novel involves William and various other exceptional characters racing across Antrath to find the beast before it truly does lose that connection to the family line forever. Along the way, he befriends Twin Coyote, a spunky little elf, powerful orcs, another wolf knight, as well as many other interesting characters that never seem out of place in this world. If anything, Golden makes each shine, giving each their moment to jump from the page and infect your imagination. On more than one occasion, I felt profoundly moved by these characters and was so happy to have followed them along on this journey. I cannot recommend this novel enough. Even if you're not a fan of Hex, the game, or even card games, I would still urge you to pick up the novel and give it a shot. Golden's achieved something in this story that can be appreciated independently of the game. That said, if you are a fan of Hex... You owe it to yourself to read this novel that you may feel that much more entrenched in that world with every opening draw. The Accidental Night can be ordered on Amazon in Kindle format, which can be read on any device. I urge you to check it out. Give me five minutes. I will right. remember how to do this job. <laughs> Hello again? I'll figure it out. Just give me some time. <laughs> I forgot how long it takes to set up the streaming shit. <laughs> I probably could have done this beforehand. <sighs> Your cyberpunk bartending game scares me, by the way. Good. <laughs> Oh, I have things to say about that game. <laughs> okay. Because now it's like way low. Do you have a happy medium between those two? Yeah, me so. Don't take that tote with me. <laughs> I'm trying to make you sound good, damn it. 
Is that any better? You know what? We'll go with it. Just so that I don't <laughs> get another freaking sigh. Listen, your dad voiced me. You get a sigh. <laughs> that was a dad voice? You Seriously? totally dad voiced that. There is a bit of a dad voice here. Shut up. <laughs> you dad voiced me. You get a sigh. That's how this works. I tell you what. Stop acting like a teenager, Dan. Then damn it. Hell no. I'm at my quarter life crisis or whatever the fuck they call it nowadays. Have you been playing too much Soldier 76 now that your thumb is out of commission? <laughs> I try to play them all. I remap my jump. <laughs> I remap my jump, and I tape down my thumb on my keyboard. <laughs> he did. He did. He posted a picture of it. it yeah, I saw. Hysterical. It took me a while to figure out that that's what he did. Like I'm staring at him. Like, okay, he taped his, you know, his thumb up. Okay, that should help. And then I look. I'm like, he taped it to the goddamn keyboard. Well, otherwise it moves. <laughs> and I cannot stress enough how much this fucking hurts. And again, I have a pretty high pain tolerance, as you've obviously learned over the past few years. You mean that wound that you probably should have gotten stitches for? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'd imagine that would hurt. Yeah, I haven't opened it up today to see whether or not it was still bleeding. Inside. Oh, God, you need to put some liquid Band-Aid on it, man, or something. So, yeah, <laughs> yesterday was messy. <laughs> when I came up the stairs, I'm, like, cradling the thumb because it's bleeding so much I got a pool of blood in my palms. <laughs> So I come upstairs, dump it in the sink, call Karen to come and help me. And yeah, that's when you get the, oh, oh, <laughs> just get me the stuff. I'll fix it. Don't worry about it. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, but it fucking hurts. And so I knew I couldn't, like, I can't even hit the space even if I wanted to. <laughs> and so I taped it down. The problem is when shit gets hectic. You naturally just pull on it and yank to try to jump. So the keyboard kind of like. (laughs) (laughs) And that's none too pleasant on the thumb either. I had to put a little stainless steel measuring spoon. (laughs) There there is a far easier solution to this problem, Roger. (laughs) Yeah, be smarter when you're using a hacksaw. (laughs) That too. Play a different game. I did, actually. I didn't play that much Overwatch. Maybe an hour or so. But, uh, again, it's the game that Tristan and I are playing. He wanted to do something, so I was like, ah, I'll figure something out. Be the parent that your kid wants you to be. Sometimes that means taping your thumb down to a keyboard. <laughs> no, this is just where he learns the harsh life lessons of, you've got to carry dad because he's not jumping. Hey, I did pretty good. All right. All things considered, not bad. And I just remapped my jump to the side button on the mouse. So I was still hopping around. It wasn't too bad. It's just like I said, when shit gets hairy and it's just a natural instinct to bounce. Yeah, that, that, that's not good. Thank you for listening to For the Lore. Each week, the show is broadcast live on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern. Stop by forthelore.com slash live to join the conversation and have your thoughts discussed on the show. If you'd like to hear more from the guys, check out Comic Book Informer, a weekly podcast from Vince and Roger, as well as Popcorn Ronin, a bi-weekly movie, TV, and anime podcast. And lastly, thanks to Manelli Jamal for the show's theme music. We encourage everyone to check out his site, ManelliJamal.com, or find him on iTunes and help support this incredible musician by picking up his CDs.